When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. What's up, guys? It's Ash Bennington. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Before I bring in our guest, I have an important announcement to make. Today is an exciting day at Real Vision. We've just launched season two of the Real Vision Collective. The aim of the RV Collective is to bring all your favorite NFT communities together while giving you the knowledge you need to navigate Web3. Season two is the next step in this journey. To create this collective, we've pulled artwork from nine of the most significant CCO projects out there and transform them into three unique mashups. If you want to help us keep building the super community of NFTs, head over to realvision.com slash collective. That's realvision.com slash collective to learn more and mint your own season two NFT. With that said, let's bring in our guest. Joining me today is Ran Neuner, founder of Crypto Banter. Ran, welcome to the show. How's it, Ash? Good to see you, my friend. Uh, as we said, we were speaking in the back here. We actually haven't met, and it's the first time we've met, but I've watched so many of your shows that I actually feel like I know you. Well, I feel exactly the same way. It's great to have you here, dude. It really does have this like kind of worlds collide feeling. It's super fun. Uh, obviously, when you guys do a show that I'm interested in, I'm always happy to watch. It's just great to have the community come together uh, and have you here with us today, man. I think there's also another link. I don't know if you've pieced the pieces together, but I think you've also got a bit of a background at CNBC at some point, right? Yes, so, I know. And, and you started this show over at CNBC. Tell, by the yeah. way, tell us about that. So in uh, 2016, obviously 2015, 2016, I was very much into crypto. And in those days, there was just no crypto information, zero crypto information. And so I went to CNBC and I said, look, guys, you should be covering this asset called Bitcoin. And they were like, yeah, crypto is a, a Ponzi scheme. And they, I mean, they used every square word in the dictionary about crypto <laughs> until, until I, I met with one of the directors and he got involved and he started buying and he started realizing that there's no information. And then he clicked and he said to me, you know what, go and talk to the production uh, head and tell her what you said about having a crypto show. So I went and spoke to the production head. You know, when you have that penny drop moment in crypto, like I was, I was explaining Bitcoin to her on the whiteboard and then she had that penny drop moment and she said, we need to have a show. It needs to be weekly. It needs to be live and it needs to be 25 minutes. I was like, great, good luck. Phone me if you need anything. She's like, no, 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 no. You're going to do the show. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't do TV. She said, we'll teach you how to do TV. And that's how we launched the, the, the world's first televised crypto show on CNBC. 
You know, it's so funny, rather, because you and I have these sort of almost parallel backgrounds here. Uh, I was at, at CNBC as well, but also was not on air there. It wasn't until I got to Real Vision that we did this. But, you know, I think that what really matters, obviously, is the passion for the space, the curiosity about what's happening. The TV stuff, like, you, as they said, you can learn. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Also, I think that, uh, I mean, I, I was on air on the TV channel for three years and um, yeah, I just, I didn't enjoy TV. I didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy, no, I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy CNBC. And the reason why I didn't enjoy it is I just felt it to be cold journalism. And I think in crypto, crypto is about communities. Crypto is about helping people navigate. Um, and I just didn't enjoy us and them. I wanted to build together as a community. And I think what we've both got here, you guys at Real Vision, and asset banter, and there's a massive crossover between the two, um, is we've got yeah. very, very, very passionate communities. And to be honest, 80% of why I do what I do is just because I feel like I'm, I'm a servant leader to this massive community. And I have an obligation to, as, as a servant leader to the community, is to, is to lead our community and, and, and help them as much as I can. So yeah, no other place I'd rather be. Yeah, that's extremely well said. And I think you're absolutely right. And we feel the same way at Real Vision about community. Uh, talking of which, obviously, a lot of things happening right now in the space. Big picture, what's your take on what's happening right now? Um, I think it's an exciting time to be in the space. And you know, I never thought I'd say that today because if you look at the price action of Bitcoin, we've been 45, 46 days in the, in the range of 29,000 to 31,000. And from yeah. a price action point of view, it's been one of the most demotivating time periods of, of, that I've been in crypto, well, one of, because I think the, the bear market was in 2019 was much worse. But, but if you can take your eyes away from, the, from price and focus on what's actually happening around us, um, I think it's, there's, there's a lot of positives that are happening around us. And I know from, from previous bear markets, people build in times of the bear market and the explosion happens in times of the bull market. And if I look at the undercurrent, there's a lot of building blocks that are being put into place at the moment, which, you know, I think will, will guide us well into the next cycle. Yeah, it has been this kind of uh, almost sideways time, exactly as you suggest. Uh, speaking of those news stories, lots going on. Uh, talk a little bit about what you see happening in the space. I know there's been a lot of chatter uh, happening right now about Coinbase, about Base, about the earnings report. Uh, let's start there. What do you see that story? I love Coinbase. I've been, I've been touting Coinbase since the beginning of the year, saying that it's the best bet in crypto at the moment. And I, when I say best bet in crypto, I mean best bet over most crypto tokens. Why do I say that? Because, or why did I say it back then? And why do I hold my conviction so strongly in Coinbase? First thing is that most of the Coinbase competitors are getting wiped out by regulatory action, which leaves Coinbase as the, the biggest fighter in the room. And they well capitalized and have a lot of cash. In fact, I think just, just over $5 billion in cash. So they've got a big war chest to go to war with the SEC. And as Brian Armstrong said, when the SEC uh, um, evoked the action against them, um, what he had, an op he had a choice to make. Either lie down and surrender, and that would mean the end of crypto in the United States, or actually go, go and fight this. Now, as they started fighting, we got the XRP ruling, which is one point in Coinbase's favor. Also, if you read the Coinbase, the case that, that it's the SEC has against Coinbase, not a very strong case. It's four counts of you know, securities, unregistered securities, and being an unregistered securities exchange. And those kind of cases, it's, it's not impossible for them to win. I think it's probably probable that they will win. 
Um, at the same time, the XRP they, they being will, Coinbase. The, yeah, the, Coinbase yeah, will win. The, the Coinbase will win. Uh, and when they win, the prize, the prize at the end of this whole thing is that they win the North American market. Now, at the same time, they've hedged themselves and they've opened an international derivatives exchange. So they've got the international derivatives market covered. They've got the US market covered, and they're probably going to be the only massive player standing because I think we've seen what happened to Binance and you know Kraken's great, but it, it just can't compete. Um, then they got another point for them when BlackRock and in fact all the ETF applications or most ETF applications said they're going to use Coinbase as the custodian. And then lastly, what they've done and they've done really well is they've launched Base. And for me, Base is absolutely, absolutely genius. And it's the game changer in this industry. And I don't think that many people understand just how much of a game changer uh, Base actually is. So that's why I think that um, that Coinbase for me is one of the best bets in crypto. Also, you're taking a bet that crypto succeeds without taking a bet on which crypto succeeds. Now, that's an amazing, amazing bet to take because Coinbase has huge upside if crypto succeeds. And you don't have to take a bet on specific tokens because regardless of which tokens win or lose, the exchange is going to make money regardless. So to me, I, I still think even at these valuations, Coinbase is, is good value in the long term. Yeah, it also has obviously greater liquidity than many of the coins because it can be accessed through a traditional yeah. brokerage account as a U.S. equity, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Let's talk a little bit about base because I think there is a lot of confusion or maybe just a, not confusion so much as just a lack of understanding, a lack of detail that people have about what they're doing out there. Uh, base is an Ethereum L2 chain, uh, and the goal here is uh, for them to increase the development uh, the, uh, that's going to be happening in the space. But I think a lot of folks don't have a very clear sense, myself included, actually, about what they're doing, what direction they're going, and what the ultimate end game looks like. What's your sense on that? Well, Coinbase realizes that, that there is regulatory uncertainty in what they do. And as there becomes regulatory, regulatory certainty, unfortunately, they're going to be casualties. And the casualties are probably going to be that the centralized exchanges operations are going to be limited. And so they set out on a quest to disrupt themselves and to hedge themselves against us. And what did they do? Hmm. They created an Ethereum layer two, okay? Which is, for those people who don't know, it's a layer uh, blockchain that runs uh, as a layer two above Ethereum. And usually layer twos are quicker, uh, can handle more transactions and have lower transaction fees because they're not, they're, not, uh, they they're not burdened with the transactions of the, of the main network and they can, in the, design, in the design of the main network. Now, there are, other layer twos, there are things like Arbitrum, there's Optimism, there's Polygon, Matic. And so the, the first question you ask yourself is, well, why do we need a, another layer two? And why does Coinbase want to compete with these layer twos? Because you've got to have a sustainable competitive advantage. And what Coinbase created in my mind was one of the smartest moves that we've seen in crypto and probably a move that's going to bring in the next million, 10 million or 100 million users. And let me tell you why. Base is a layer two. It is launched by Coinbase. It allows, it leverages the Coinbase infrastructure, client base, and on-ramps and off-ramps. So the one competitive advantage that Base has is that it leverages Coinbase's customer base and the ability that Coinbase has to, to bring in, uh, to, 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 bring, to, to bring money from the traditional financial system onto the crypto financial system. The second competitive advantage that they have is that it's the only blockchain that I know of that doesn't have a token. Okay, now, why is right. that an advantage and not a disadvantage? Because most people say that's a disadvantage. But if you think about 
the regulatory uncertainty in the United States at the moment. You're in an environment where there's so much regulatory uncertainty in the, in the United States that most companies can't actually build on blockchain. So if you think about of like Amazon, or you think about like, I don't know, just a big company in, in the United States, and you think about them starting to build on blockchain and starting to have to account for tokens on their balance sheet. Are we holding unregistered securities? Are we encouraging our customer base to hold and trade unregistered securities? There's no regulatory clarity. Coinbase has just said, look, we don't have a token. All our gas fees are paid in, 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 in USD. Um, there's no token. There's no risk of, of, of regulatory attack here. Um, and essentially what that does is it allows big companies, companies that are scared of regulation to onboard people. And as I said, combine that with the ability to bring money from the traditional financial system onto the current financial, onto the, onto the blockchain financial system and leverage Coinbase's client base. I think that base is one of the smartest moves I've seen in blockchain. It is the ultimate bridge between CeFi and DeFi because it's a blockchain that doesn't need a token and doesn't fall into the trap of all right. the, um, the, 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 uh, the regulatory uncertainty. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, it's a very interesting analysis in terms of uh, your view of this idea of essentially uh, not putting themselves in the regulatory crosshairs by minting another token. Uh, you said some things that I thought were very interesting at the beginning there and again at the end about this idea of this decentralization aspect of it and disrupting their own business model. Uh, it sounds like what you're saying, and correct me if I'm not interpreting this right, that you see this as a potential transition uh, as the CFI model begins to decline uh, for Coinbase to have a play in a more decentralized way, uh, kind of something between uh, maybe uh, Coinbase and a DEX. So most, if you think about the, the landscape of the uh, CFI exchanges, most of them made a lot of money because there was lack of regulatory clarity. And as there is more and more regulatory clarity, what we're seeing is that most of them are actually losing their licenses, starting to curtail their operations, starting to limit what they can do in certain jurisdictions, right? Um, I think the most extreme example of that is where the exchanges make all their money. The exchanges make most of their money on the derivatives market. But as crypto yeah. becomes more regulated, the derivatives become illegal. So if you look at like, there's no regulated derivatives exchange in the United States. There's no regulated derivatives exchange in Canada. There's no regulated derivatives exchange in Singapore. There's no regulated, you know, the, the derivatives where the exchanges make most of their money is the first thing to fall away. So what the exchanges are realizing is that as there's going to be more regulation and more regulatory clarity, their service offering is going to become harder to, harder to license and therefore it's going to become a lot more limited. So with that in mind, they, they went out to disrupt themselves. Now, Kudos to Binance, because Binance was actually the first people to do this unofficially through the BSC chain. But the difference is that they didn't integrate the BSC chain into their current CFI um, in, uh, application. So Binance didn't make it seamless to onboard onto the DeFi chain using the, the financial on-ramps and off-ramps that you could get onto Binance with. 
What Coinbase is doing, which is much smarter, is they're doing almost like a seamless integration in time. Um, and so you're going to get seamless CFI integration onto a blockchain that is not run with tokens. Yeah, and of course it's compatible with the EVM uh, so that you have the ability to be interoperable with Ethereum, uh, as you say, as an L2. It is it is really interesting. One of the things that you talk about uh, when you read the Coinbase literature on this, when you go to their blog post, for example, uh, is they talk about the, this idea of development and building on top of this layer as an onboarding strategy. What do you see happening there, uh, either now or in the future, in terms of where they believe they're going from a strategic perspective? <coughs> well, they've started to encourage a lot of builders. So there's the whole hashtag build on base. And I think they actually own a Twitter account, right. which is build on base. And I'm seeing a lot of projects actually starting to migrate onto base. Like a lot of the projects that we support and, and have been working with have said, look, we're going to have a parallel integration into base. Or in fact, we may, some of them are even moving their, their primary stack onto base and saying, look, we don't actually need an, to deal with, the, with, the, with tokens. Let's just go onto base and rather a, a, a attract customers. So I think that that's, that's where, the, where the shift is here. Um, as I said, I think one of the smartest things to happen in the space, really one of the smartest decisions to happen in the space. Yeah, very interesting. All right, Ram, what else is going on out there? Uh, let's talk, well, recent charges against Richard Hart, uh, Hex and Pulse Chain uh, over from SEC, civil charges, we should say, uh, not criminal charges, civil charges. Uh, what, what's your take on this? Obviously, this uh, appears to be different uh, in terms of the nature of the charges from what we've seen filed against Coinbase, uh, for example, in that SEC has included fraud allegations uh, directly in their claim. So let's look at a spectrum. We had the Coinbase, we had XRP. Now, not many, not many people like XRP, or not many people liked XRP or Ripple before the Ripple case. And when they went to war with the SEC, everyone, no matter who you were, no matter how much of a maxi you were, I think you were rooting for Ripple to win the case against the SEC. And so far, they've they've won one little one little bout in the case, which has been amazing. Then you got Coinbase, which is also going up against the SEC. And again, crypto is completely uniting behind Coinbase, saying we want Coinbase to beat the SEC. So the whole of crypto is now uniting behind Coinbase. Then you've got SEC versus CZ and Binance, and that's kind of polarizing because most people want Binance to win, but it's they're not rallying as much behind uh, CZ. And then the next case, which you've got is Richard Hart. And I read comments like, finally, they're going after a real scammer. Like, you know, the, the sentiment is that most people that I've seen, except the Hicks and the Pulse community, actually think that it's good that the SEC is going against Richard Hart because they believe that, you know, he's been running a Ponzi and, and, and whatever else. My view is, I don't, I don't want to comment as to whether or not Hex is a Ponzi and whether it's a scam, because I don't, I don't think it is. Um, but I think that... Um, he's going to fight these charges until the end. And I don't think he's going to settle with the SEC. And I'll tell you why. I've had multiple discussions with Richard. Richard's been on my show many times. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met. He's, he is very technologically smart and he's, he's very, 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 very smart. His entire aim in life is to do good, be remembered, be noted, be, 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 um, get the right attention. And that's why he does these crazy things like shopping with bags and bags of Louis Vuitton, buying the biggest diamond in the world and whatever else. It's all because he just wants to be noticed. I once had him on my show and he said, you know, I do such good things and, I, and scammers have bigger Twitter following than me. And he measures himself by the, the acceptance in, in, in social society. Now, I think his biggest dream is 
to leave a legacy in crypto. What better way to leave a legacy than to beat the SEC? So I think that his, his, his emotions are going to take him to fight the SEC until the end. Um, whether or not he's going to win, probably I don't think so, but you know, who knows? Yeah, let me just, this is directly from the SEC press release. The Securities and Exchange Commission today charged Richard Hart, a.k.a. Richard Schuler, and three unincorporated entities that he controls, Hex, Pulse Chain, and PulseX, with conducting unregistered offerings of crypto asset securities that raised more than $1 billion in crypto assets from investors. The SEC also charged Hart and Pulse Chain with fraud for misappropriating at least $12 million of offering proceeds to purchase luxury goods, including sports cars, watches, and the 555-carat black diamond known as the Enigma, reportedly the, reportedly the largest black diamond in the world. And, and just to, to build on what you say, uh, I, I myself am not uh, following this story that closely. The great thing about the uh, United States is that people have a right to their uh, day in court. They have a right to make their case. Uh, so I don't prejudge this, uh, and we're just going to have to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, look, so the fraud is, is in my mind, not sure it's the strongest case of fraud in the world. And I'll tell you why I think that. And by the Richard way, we should, we should say these are civil charges, not criminal yeah. charges. Yeah. So Richard Hart is, um, who claims to be wealthy from before Hex and before Pulse. And I actually believe him because I followed his journey before Hex and before Pulse. And he was a big Bitcoin holder very early. He was a very, very, very early buyer of Bitcoin and seemed to have a lot of money before this. Now, if you look at the charges, He's got $12 million fraud charges against him, and it is for allegedly misappropriating funds to buy these diamonds and watches and, and whatever else he bought. The truth is, though, he's also got, in the same um, SEC papers, they talk about the fact that he's still got $700 million in an account. So they're talking about, they say, that, and they point to the account that has $700 million worth of dye into it. Now, if he is so, um, if he's so rich, then why would he need to take the $12 million. I think the disconnect is they say that he used the protocol funds and he's going to say that when you invested it, you know, when you gave me the money, it was a sacrifice. Literally, he called it a sacrifice and it wasn't an investment and you shouldn't have invested. He actually said, you don't ex expect any returns. You're sacrificing your money. You're burning it and it's gone. And so I think it depends how the judge views this. I mean, if a judge takes a view that the sacrifice was legitimate. I, you know, I can't comment because I'm not a legal person. It sounds a bit absurd, but if the judge takes a view that the, the legal status of the sacrifice makes it not a security, then if you use the funds to buy diamonds and watches and Louis Vuitton bags, well, tough luck. Or he could spin it and say, look, the reason I was able to build such a big community is because I did such great marketing. And the marketing that I did was I bought the biggest diamond in the world for the Hex community. I bought these watches to show them how rich you can become. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know what his case is going to be. I'm just saying right. these are possible defenses that, that could come out in the case. I think he's going to defend, and I don't think he's going to take the slap on the wrist and a little bit of a penalty. So I think it's going to be uh, popcorn times ahead. Hey, everyone. We're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder.
Well, it will be interesting. And again, uh, we should say these are just allegations right now, and this is going to have to go through the legal process before we get any clarity on it. Uh, and hopefully we will uh, get some of that clarity when both sides get to present their case. Uh, let me ask you this. I know that you had our mutual friend Ben Cowan on this morning. I was watching that show before you and I got started here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your warning on altcoins. I know this is something uh, that you guys have debated. Talk a little bit about where we are in terms of BDI, Bitcoin dominance, uh, and your view on the altcoin market. So my view and Ben's view are slightly different. Ben believes that uh, there's going to be another altcoin reckoning and that in that reckoning, the, bit, the alts are going to go down 40 to 50% and the dominance is going to go up to 60%. Um, I'm not sure that I agree with him. You know, he's very much a technical analyst. He's a chartist. Um, I'm much more fundamentals. I always look for the, the, the underlying reason. He doesn't care about the underlying reason. He's just looking at the charts. He's saying, based on the previous halvings, based on where we are in the cycle, if I just copy the halving one after the other, then um, the data shows that we're going to have one more dip, and in that dip, altcoins are going to get a reckoning. Um, I must say, I think the worst is over for altcoins. I think that the XRP ruling by the judge, even though some of the judges aren't accepting the ruling, I think it has weakened the SEC slightly. I think also we're going into an election year, and I think that in an election year, the last thing that, that Gary Gensler wants is a political pushback. And I think that if we watch what's been happening with Gary Gensler and the SEC, there's been a lot of political pushback against him. I don't think that they want that during an election year. So I think that that gives two bits of good news. The first thing is I think he may tone down a little bit on alts. I don't think he's going to stop on alts, but I think he's going to tone down the attacks. Uh, I think he's fighting a lot of big battles. He's fighting XRP. He's fighting Coinbase. He's fighting Binance. Um, he's fighting Richard Hart, may, maybe not, not, not at the same level and same caliber. Um, and then also, I think we're going to get a, a Bitcoin ETF as a result. Why do I say as a result? Because I think that he's going to have to give something back to win back political, political uh, support. You're talking about and a spot Bitcoin ETF here in the United States. A spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States. I think that one, one argument here is to say he's... He's, knocked a, he's lost a lot of friends in, in Washington because of his actions in, um, uh, against altcoins and blockchain and, and, and crypto. And I think that one way to make amends is, is to approve a Bitcoin spot ETF in the United States. And there's also no real reason for him not to approve it, both from a factual point of view and also because we've got futures ETFs, we've got 2x leveraged Bitcoin ETFs, um, I don't see any reason why he can deny, logical reason why he can deny a Bitcoin spot ETF. He but he said something like other commissioners out there and, you know, he's just one of them. So, you know, I, I, the tune's starting to change a little bit. But look, I may be reading too deeply between the lines. Who knows? Yeah. By the way, put down your questions in the chat. If you're watching this show, we're going to ask the best ones on the air. Remember, Real Vision members take priority. If you're not a member yet, go to realvision.com forward slash crypto to sign up. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's free. It's where new episodes of Ralph Powell's Adventures in Crypto premiere every Friday. Talking of which, let's jump in and ask our first question. Uh, it's a very viewed chat. Uh, it's a very viewed uh, show here today. Uh, so we've got a lot of questions coming up. This one comes from Michael 
on the Real Vision website. And the question is, what country does RAND think will be the next to accept BTC as a national currency, just like El Salvador? Interesting one. Wow. Um, to be honest, I don't know. I think a lot of countries are going to start uh, uh, collecting or adding Bitcoin to their balance sheet if they haven't started to do that already. I suspect countries like Russia may already be doing it. I don't have obviously no facts to, to back it up. Uh, but yeah, I have no idea who the next uh, country is. I mean, yeah, to be honest, even El Salvador caught me off guard. Yeah, let me be devil's advocate. Why would countries want to give up control over their monetary base? Uh, it gives them flexibility. It gives them the ability uh, to, for example, rebase uh, essentially purchases uh, to expand uh, and contract the economy when they see overheating from inflation or when they see slowdowns or recession. What's the driver in your view for why countries would want to adopt Bitcoin as a sovereign currency? So I think when you're, when you're talking about big countries with their own currencies, probably not much of an incentive, but countries like El Salvador that use the US dollar and we're at the mercy of the, of the United States, I think that, that for them, that's, it, it's actually quite a smart and quite calculated move. I also think let's differentiate between adopting Bitcoin as your only legal tender currency and adopting Bitcoin by just buying Bitcoin to add to your, your balance sheet as a country. Now, if you think about a country like Russia, uh, I think, you know, why do I say Russia? Because I think Russia knows what sanctions feel like. And what the Russian knows what happens when, you know, the U.S. places sanctions and, and, and tries to devalue the ruble. And one insurance policy that countries may have in maybe the next cycle or the cycle after that is to have some uh, non-country affiliated uh, currency. So, you know, you, you, Bitcoin is Bitcoin, not affiliated to any country. So it's, it's not anything that any country can control um, and therefore probably not get, um, you would be able to bypass the sanctions somehow if there were sanctions. Yeah. So another question I wanted to ask you about, what's your take on WorldCoin? Interesting, because uh, it's, it's a very, um, what's the word? Uh, it's, it's polarizing. You get, you've got some people that love it and some people hate it. I love it. Um, I love it because I think I understand it maybe a little bit better than the average person. I think the average pushback that people have around WorldCoin is that you're walking around scanning people's eyeballs, retinas, irises, or whatever the, the hell they're scanning there, and that there's a database of eyeballs everywhere, and I don't want my eyeballs on a database anywhere. First thing I say is why not? I mean, you've got, you've got your face, your fingerprints on multiple government databases. I live in South Africa. I can tell you that if there's one party that you do not trust yet, it's the government. Um, you know, if, like, if, if a database is going to be hacked or stolen, it's going to be the governments because they like, you know, it's such a corrupt government and it's so uncontrolled. Um, not to say, that, you know, I'm sure there's other countries like this. And so the first thing is, who cares? The second thing is, well, they're not actually storing your eyeball. They're just storing a hash, which is a representation of your eyeball. In other words, it's, they're not storing anything to do with your own data. They're just giving right. you a zero knowledge hash, basically. So, you know, for people who don't understand how that works, it's, no one is keeping your eyeball on a database. They're just keeping proof that your eyeball was scanned in a, almost like a receipt that says, hey, my eyeball was scanned and I'm a real person. So why am I so excited about this? Look, we dub our, we use AI to dub our, our, our shows into Russian, Korean, and Spanish. The AI is so good that it takes my lips and it it's trained on my voice and it takes my lips and it changes the facial expression of my face and it gives me a, my same voice in Russian, Spanish, and Korean. Now I think to myself, if the bank phoned the AI, the AI would pass the voice test and be able to do telephonic banking. Okay, simple. 
So with that in mind, I think the first thing is we're going to need proof of humanness. We're going to need an inter international measure of proof of humanness in this world of AI. Like very, very, very soon, when I say very soon, maybe even now, you're not going to be able to tell the difference between AI ash and real ash. Like right. it's, going to be, it's going to be that simple. With that in mind, we need a proof of humanness. And if we're going to get a proof of humanness, I think that scanning your, your eyeball or your iris and not actually keeping it, but actually keeping a hash of it is probably a safe way to do it. Second yeah, thing is, I mean, ahead. the second thing is they are going for world, fi world financial domination. I, I use that, that word loosely. Um, we know that Elon Musk and Sam Altman have some kind of rivalry between them. And, you know, one night before uh, they launched WorldCoin, Elon Musk launched X. Both of them are going for financial domination and banking the unbankable. I live in Africa. I know what the implications, what it means to be unbankable. What it means to be unbankable is so most, not a lot of people don't have an identity document. Without an identity document, you can't get into the financial system. Imagine going to the bank and saying, I want a loan. I want to open an account. I don't have an identity document. I live in the farm. In the farmlands, I don't have I don't have real reliable identification. I don't have identification that is cross border verifiable. Right. Um, right. Which is, I mean, at this at this stage, I I, I estimate that in South Africa, two percent of people have a passport, or maybe five, not more than that. Right. And so we need some kind of global um, identity identity standard. And if these guys are going to be the ones to pull it off using the orbs, I think I think it's an amazing it's an amazing feat. And lastly, I think it brings a new use case to crypto. Like I think like up until now, crypto has been a great store of value. It is a great way to transfer money from one place to another. But other than that, we haven't had any real use cases of crypto. Other than trading and speculating and storing value, we haven't had any mass market use cases for crypto um, that have lasted. And I think that this is a great experiment. So for me. Bullish on all three counts. Really interesting analysis there. Uh, I'll give you my take on it, which is a slightly higher level. I think that there really are two things here uh, that are separate and distinct. Uh, on the one hand, you have the actual mechanics of how this functions. As you say, uh, it's not an image of the eyeball that's being scanned. It's a cryptographic hash uh, that just essentially verifies that you have in fact, scanned your eyeball. So there's all the actual uh, functional mechanics of how it works. That's one piece. The other piece, bigger picture, is just the psychological impact of this, right? So people uh, who are not following this as closely as you are, uh, are basically reading these news stories in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, wherever they get their news, right? And they see the advances that have happened uh, in AI in the last 12 months, which are just absolutely enormous, right? We're living in this era where for the first time in human history, our tools are becoming smarter than we are. I agree with Rao that this is the most significant technology that we've seen since perhaps the splitting of the atom. It is this just incredible moment uh, in human history to see the direction that AI is going and the just enormous power of this technology. And then at the same time, you have the same folks who are doing that scanning eyeballs. The name of the token is called WorldCoin. I just think it completely freaks people out. I think there's this emotional reaction uh, that happens to this that's separate from the actual underlying functional mechanics of it. And that's what we're seeing hash out uh, here, pun intended. Do you remember, do you remember FaceApp? Do you remember the, the app called FaceApp where people were scanning their faces and then making themselves age by 50 years or whatever the number was, and then you'd see an old version of yourself. Do you remember that app and how it went completely viral and everybody was posting their pictures? Okay, that was, I think, if I remember correctly, there was like a Chinese app or something. And every, every time we did it, it was just scanning people's faces. And people were happy to do it. Like they, that was like 
so cool. Let's get high. Let's scan our face. Let's post it on, on the web. You know, the other one is that, you know, we all use an iPhone. And the first thing we do when we use an iPhone is we have face recognition. Like you stand there and you go, click face recognition. I mean, what is the difference between giving your data to Apple or to FaceApp or to Instagram or TikTok and giving it to WorldCoin? We do it all the time. It's just yeah. these guys are using a phone and yeah. the, those guys are using an orb. And it's just, it's just that simple. Listen, I'll make the devil's advocate argument. It's that Apple has developed a, a, a significant amount uh, of uh, brand equity and uh, trust in the marketplace. I think one of the reasons why people trust Apple uh, is because they believe that they make their money selling physical hardware devices and software. Uh, and I think it's just, there's just this, again, and this is my point, that there really is this division between the underlying aspect of what really is happening and the emotional, visceral reaction to it. And again, I don't, you know, take a position on this either way, as our viewers know, I'm aggressively neutral about most things. Uh, but it is, there is, you can see people getting just a little bit freaked out by it, uh, again, apart from what's happening from the functional side. Do you live in, in the United States? I do. Do you have clear, that thing when you walk through the airports, you don't have to wait in the, in the lines. Do you have that, that service where you just, you, you've pre-registered yourself and you can walk through the fast uh, uh, immigration lines or passport control lines or entry lines? I think it's called clear. Do you, do you do that? I do not. Okay, well, most people do. And when they do, they give the government everything that they need. Copy of the passport, yeah. scan of your face, scan, scan of your fingers. Government's been hacked a few times. I mean, you know, like, it's just... Who cares? I mean, what are we? What are we going to? What have you got to hide? Like, you know, like what are you hiding? It's just, it's, just, it's. You're so happy to give your data to Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and scan your face and make videos and flaunt yeah. them to the world. And then when we ask you to just scan your eye or do a fingerprint, it's like, well, well, I don't want to do that. privacy. What do you mean? Come on. Well, I to I totally agree with you in terms of the the amount of data. Uh, that folks give away to Web2 companies. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so bullish about Web3 is I love the idea of decentralization and the ability uh, for people to take back some control of their own data and of their own uh, experience online. I think that's one of the exciting applications of what we're talking about here. I, I, I have nothing to hide. And I believe that most people have nothing to hide. And, you know, like, I, there's a lot of people that say, hell no, I'm not going to share my location with Instagram. No way. Like, that's that invasion of privacy. I do, and I get amazing ads served to me that are really relevant to me. And when I'm planning a holiday, you know, usually it sends me the right ads for the right holiday because I'm willing to give them a little bit of data. And that shortcuts my life a hell of a lot. And it makes my life a whole lot more uh, uh, comfortable. Now, do I care that they're monitoring what I do to make my life hopefully better? I don't mind it. Like I've got nothing to hide, you know, what am I hiding? Yeah, I, I generally share my location data as well when I go and, uh, you know, post Instagram photos. Ren, Dude, we could go on for like six hours on this conversation. It's amazing to have you here. Uh, super fun uh, to bring you guys on. Just great to be able to bring the space together. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers and audience with from this conversation. Yeah, I think, you know, as I said before, it's been a, bit, a very demotivating time and specifically as a content creator. Imagine having to make content every single day and the price action is exactly the same as it was the day before. And it's been like that for 46 days. Brent, I don't, I don't have to imagine that. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Exactly. So um, what I do is I look under the surface and I realize all the amazing things that are actually happening here. Base for me is a game changer. It's going to bring a lot of new companies that ordinarily wouldn't have come into blockchain. It's going to bring them onto blockchain. We're getting, we've won a point against the SEC. We've got a black, we've got BlackRock. I mean, talk about uh, uh, the best fighter we could have chosen. We've got BlackRock applying for a Bitcoin spot ETF. We've got Bloomberg saying there's a 65% chance that it's going to be approved before the end of the year. 
We're less than a year away from the halving. So there's a lot brewing. There's a lot brewing. This is a this is a the calm before the storm, I guess. And um, you know, if you're feeling a bit demotivated being in crypto, if you're feeling a bit like when's something gonna happen, this is when this is this is when you should be preparing. Yeah. Super fun to have you with us here, dude. Hope you can do it again soon. We must, we must, we must. And maybe have you guys have you and, and Raul on our channel. Oh, that sounds like a blast, man. We'd love to take you up on that. Cool, my friend. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks again. That's it for this week. Make sure to check out our website. Of course, it's realvision.com forward slash crypto, realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's free to sign up for our crypto content. Also today, join the DGen happy hour with our very own Elaine Lee, of course, to learn more about Real Vision Collective season two. That's at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. And make sure to join us again next week on Crypto Daily Briefing. See you Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time. Thanks for watching and listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.